0: Uh, I'm just going to read uh, this morning from uh, our passage, which is James chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 18. Uh, So you want to follow along if you have a Bible with you, or it should be on the screen uh, as we begin uh, this new series in the book of James, Um, chapter 1, verse 1 through to 18, and this is God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of the truth, that we should be a kind of fruits of his creatures. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, as we come this morning to to gather uh, in your presence, to gather uh, with your people, um, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, speak into our hearts, that you would still our hearts, and that you would give us um, a sense of awe and reverence in your presence. That as we come, we would come uh, and bring those things that we we bring to this building this morning, uh, that we bring those things that are going on in our lives, those things that we're facing and the trials and the uh, the, the difficulties, the, the concerns, the anxieties. But Lord, I pray that we would bring them here to you this morning. You are a God who, who meets us where we are. You don't ask us to have our act cleaned up before we come. But you meet us where we are, Lord, and I pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, confident in uh, you uh, being who you are that you want to meet with your children you want to, uh, to hear from your children you want to speak to your children you want to speak to each one of us and I pray that you would still our hearts and our, and our minds uh, take away those distractions that would uh, take us away from hearing what you would have to say to us this morning I pray for John as he comes to, uh, to speak from your word Lord I pray that you would bless him uh, that you would fill him uh, with your spirit and that he would speak uh, to us from your word and, and from your heart I'm going to pray uh, this for each one of us gathered here and each one listening on may you be glorified in all that we do jesus amen
1: thanks holly morning everyone morning uh, today we are starting our new series in james uh, i'm looking forward to this uh, getting stuck into this book together uh, over the next few weeks today let me my music stand is getting worse every single week uh, let me ask you a question as we start today uh, and the question is this have you ever asked the question why me why me or even more like some of us of a certain vintage will know uh, in the late 1990s to be 1999 to be precise uh, Travis asked the question why does it always rain on me some of you have no clue who Travis is. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I know who that is. 1999, could not believe that when I actually read that. That was 1999 that that song came out. Uh, the, the lyrics go something like this. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Even when the sun is shining, I can't avoid the lightning. Some of us feel like that. Uh, song, actually, interestingly, that David Murray, Ian Ringland, and John Irvine honed their musical skills to back in the day. So Travis, I have a lot to answer for. But uh, why me? Why does it always rain on me? Why do I continually face trials? Why is there always trouble? Uh, if it's not money worries, it's health problems. If it's not that, it's relational difficulty. If it's not that, it's something else. Why me? Why is it always me? And the first thing I want to say is that if you have ever asked that question, you're not alone. If you have ever posed that question, why is it always me? Why do these things always happen to me? You're not alone. Because I guarantee you in this room, everyone, if they have not already asked that question, will ask that question at some point. Why me? Why am I always continually facing trials? Well, today, James is going to tell us how we should view our trials, how we should interpret them, how we should look at them. And hopefully, hopefully that will encourage us and help us as to how to look at our trials in the future, or even maybe something that you're in right now. This letter, the letter of James, was written by James, as as the name is the author, uh, the brother of Jesus. Written by James, the brother of Jesus, who was a leader in the Jerusalem church. Uh, uh, It's it's thought that this letter was penned around A.D. 40 to 45. Who was it written to? Well, he tells us in in verse 1 who it was written to, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, in the dispersion. What does that mean? Well, it literally means this. It means he is writing to Jewish Christians who have been dispersed all over the world at that time. Why had they been dispersed all over the world at that time? Persecution. And so James is writing to believers all over the globe because they have been persecuted. And and, and the theme of the book is simply this. Christians, James wants the Christian, the Jewish Christians, to live out their faith. He wants them to live it out in reality. He doesn't just simply want it to be a theoretical thing. Uh, James will tell us that we as believers should be doers of the Word, not just hearers. James is actually sometimes known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, It is a book full of wisdom on how to live out the Christian faith. We should be doers, not just hearers. He doesn't want this to be a theoretical thing. And what we'll see in James are topics discussed like trials today, favoritism or partiality, faith, prayer, uh, holding our tongue, really, really practical details of how to live the Christian life. And my hope and prayer for this series is that it is encouraging, but it is also challenging for us as a church. And so that's James in a nutshell. Right. James, a servant of God. And I didn't talk much about that in the the first service, but I just want to touch on it there. What a way to open the letter. What a way to open the letter. James, a servant of God. He doesn't open it up by saying, James, brother of Jesus, look at me. No, a servant, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus to the twelve tribes. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Right, let's pause. Just there. James is saying something that to our ears sounds ridiculous. I don't know if you've ever read James before or thought much about it, but when you open, when you when you read those opening lines of James, you, you can very easily think to yourself, James, catch a grip of yourself. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. But when we hear that, it sounds strange to our ears. But what I don't want us to do straight away is reject what he's saying. I don't want us to reject it because what he's saying in verses 2 to 4 is that all types of trials, all types of troubles, all types of persecution, and whatever we go through in life, is serving a purpose. They have a purpose, and that purpose is bringing us into maturity. It is growing us up in Christ. It is making us more like Jesus. As I say, in other words, the trial serve to grow us in maturity of faith. James' words are astounding. Consider it all joy when you face various kinds of trials. And as I say, when he says it, we might think it's ridiculous. We might think it's unrealistic. We might even think like this is James just being super spiritual. And he's like one one of these songs that we sing, you know, when you meet Jesus, you'll be happy all the day. Because we don't experience this. When trials come, we're not like, yee It's not that. James is not saying, just because Jesus, you can be happy all the day. He's not saying that. How incredibly discouraging would that actually be? Because you're probably sitting in here and you're thinking, that's definitely not my reality. Because I am not happy all the day. You may be in Christ, but you're definitely not happy all the day. As I said, James words sound, they may sound like that, but they're not. Don't write them off. And once we understand what he's actually saying, his words are brutally realistic and they are unbelievably helpful. Helpful. What James is doing here when he says this is, is that he's not presenting, James is not presenting some new secret that he's found out. If you go onto social media, if you go onto to uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, when I said TikTok in the first service, Davy Smith thought it was a sweet. Uh, but when you go on to TikTok or whatever, you will be bombarded. You will be bombarded with people telling you that they've found the secret. You want to lose weight? I've got the secret and you can buy it for thirty quid. You want to be rich? I've got the secret and you can buy it for you can take a course for 120 quid and that'll get you will be you'll be successful. You want X, Y, Z, you do this, and, and I've got the secret, and I can impart that secret to you and you'll be you'll be grand. That's not what James is doing when he's coming to this. Why is he not doing that? Look at what he says. Consider it all joy or consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials, for you know. For you know. James is just reminding the believers of what they already know. Think about who he's writing to. He's writing to believers who have been spread all over the known world because of what? Persecution. They have faced trials in the past, And coming through those trials, they know what it has done. They know that it has strengthened their faith. They know that it has produced steadfastness. They know that it has produced perseverance. And so James is just saying, listen, guys, you already know this. It's no secret. This is not something that you don't know. He's not calling us to believe some new secret that he's discovered. He's calling us to believe and act on something that we should already know. And there's a, there's a lovely little detail here that, that I, I just want to point out. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Various kinds. Because here's the thing. We all go through different things. And a trial to person X may not be a trial to person A. So, for example, last night in our house, I've sort of half-semi got permission from them to do this. But I'll ask for forgiveness rather for than permission. Uh, so, last night, in, there was a trial came upon the household. A, a trial of various kinds. And the trial was that Isaac's phone wouldn't charge. Now, you laugh, and you may laugh. But to a 15-year-old, right? See, Dono knows. You know the crack, Dono. You know the crack. To a 15-year-old, this is a serious issue. And you shouldn't laugh. It is. It's life threatening stuff, right? That was a trial of various kinds. Now, is that the same as terminal cancer? No, it's not, really. but anyway. They're not the same thing, but to the person at the time, they're a trial. They're a trial. And so you may be going through something that may seem really insignificant to somebody else, but it's a trial. They're not the same, but they're trials. And James adds this beautiful little detail. When you face trials of various kinds. And so he wants us to be all inclusive. And look at all of our trials and all of our troubles and all of our worries through the lens that He's going to give us. Through the lens that He's going to give us. Right? They serve a purpose. And what I want us to do now is work backwards from verse 4. If we work backwards from verse four, what we'll see is how James outlines how we should look at our trials. Because all of our trials have a purpose. And if we look in verse four, we will see the purpose. Let's look. Verse four. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and lacking in nothing. There we go. Boom. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of your trials. That's the purpose of your troubles. That's the purpose of, your, of everything that goes on in your life. That's the purpose. God has one purpose for your life. His grand conspiracy for your life is this. To present you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to present you what? Perfect before the Father. That's the purpose. And so James says that that that's where you start when you start thinking about trials, when you start thinking about trouble. That's where you start. He wants to present you before himself. God wants to present you before himself as perfect. Then we work back to verse 3. Having told you the revealed purposes of your trials, which is to make you perfect, then he tells you by the means in which he's going to do that in verse 3. James tells you that the revealed means of God accomplishing this purpose is what? Testing. Testing your faith. That is what is going to make you perfect. That is what is going to present you perfect. The testing of your faith. How is he going to test? And then you work back again to verse another. How is he going to test you? Trials. Trials. The goal is perfection, the means is testing, and the proving ground is trials. That's his goal. The goal of God in your trials is to present you perfect. That's what he's doing. So, what are some of the ways... What are some of the ways we respond to our trials? When something hits us, something comes into our life that we don't like, something that, that causes us pain, what are, what are our responses to our trials? Well, let's be honest. If we're we, to if we look at our life through the lens of, of, of James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, you count it all joy when you, when you meet various kinds of trials because we know it's, it's going to produce perfection in us. Sometimes, if we can be really honest, it's easier to do that in the big things. When something big hits us, something big comes along, it's easier for us to do to say, oh, God's got, we know what God's doing. We know He's, he's, he's producing these things in us. It's easy. But what about the mundane things, the small things, the, the little things that come into our lives? It's much easier to put this in. It's much harder to put that into action then in the smaller things. And some of our responses, when when trials come, our first response is usually this. It takes us back to our introduction. It's this, why? Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is it happening to me? And here's what I want to encourage us to do when, when, when we start thinking like this. What we are doing when we say, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God doing this? What we are doing is questioning the secret things of God. We're questioning the secret things of God. We want to figure it out. And trust me, there are books in in Christian bookshops and online full of the answers as to how to work out the secret will of God. Let me tell you something the secret things of God are what? Secret. And we are wasting our time trying to figure out the secret things of God because they are secret. We try to figure out what God might be doing. And instead of figuring out what God might be doing in the secret will of God, what about if we just took the revealed Word of God and will of God and focused on that. So what is, God, what is God's revealed purpose in trials? To make us more like Christ and bring us to perfection. How much time and effort and worrying and thinking and wondering and would it, would it save us? if we just focused on the revealed will of God rather than trying to figure out the secret things of God. He has given us what He's doing. We're asking the wrong questions. He's already told us in His Word what He's doing, what He's doing in your life. What He's doing in your life is bringing you into perfection if you're in Him. That's what it is. You don't have to figure that one out. God's told us in black and white. We don't have to wonder what's going on, what the cosmic plan is for the universe. We don't, we don't have to worry about that because we're not God. The Bible tells us the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. James says, don't try and figure out the secret things. Focus on the revealed The second thing we do often in trials or second response that we often have in trials is that we are immediately tempted to doubt the goodness of God and wisdom goodness and wisdom of God Lord how could you do this I just don't understand God what's going on it doesn't make sense it doesn't seem like a wise plan what you're doing we instinctively doubt the goodness and the wisdom of God and James says, no, don't do that. Go back to the revealed purposes of God. What are the revealed purposes of God? To make you more like Jesus. It's good. What he's doing is good for you. Thirdly, so one is we we ask the question why and, and try to figure out the secret things. The second thing is that we... Uh, doubt the goodness and wisdom of God. The third thing we, normally, we can do is we throw up our hands and, and, and quit when trials come. When trials come into our lives, when hard things come into our lives, the temptation is to, is to check out. Throw the hands up, walk away. How many of us, how many of us in your own heart, if you're being honest with yourself, How many of us have used the excuse of trials for the justification of walking away? I've went there. Hard stuff comes. Jack it in. It's too hard. James says trials are for the opposite purpose of that. They are to produce steadfastness perseverance it's a time instead of throwing our hands up and walking away it is a time to push in and believe in what god has revealed in his word about what he's doing so one we ask why two we we doubt the goodness and wisdom of god three we can walk away or use the, use trials for the justification of walking away And fourthly, in trials and and hard times, we can become better. We can become better. And what does James say? Back to verse 2. Count it all joy. He says the opposite of getting better. Count it all joy. Now, let me be clear. James is not saying be joyful in, in the trial itself. You've got terminal cancer. Are you supposed to be joyful in the terminal cancer? No. Terminal cancer is a result of the fall. Why are that? What what are we to be joyful in then? We are to be joyful in what it's doing. What the trial is accomplishing, not the trial itself. Please hear me on this. Because if you come into church someday and you're going through the worst crap that you've ever went through and you're all happy and smiley and being like, oh, this is brilliant. I will slap you personally. Like, no, no, that is not why you're, you're not supposed to be just happy in the thing. You're supposed to be joyful, deep-rooted joy in the results that it will bring. Not the trial itself. The results. If you read it, it's clear. Count it all joy, brothers, when you, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There we go. Why are we joyful? Because of what it is producing. Not in the trial itself. Anybody anybody love going through trials? No. No. But we're to have joy in the results about what it's doing. Four things that often happen to us in the middle of trials. One, we ask why. What are you doing? And we try to figure out the secret things. No, go back to the revealed will of God. What's he doing? He's, He's making us perfect. Two, We doubt God's goodness and wisdom no we go back to the revealed will of God and what he's doing is good for us third we we throw up the hands walk away no it's a time to believe in what he's saying what his revealed will is and what he's doing and fourth we get better no we we are joyful because we know that there is a result being produced that we don't see yet but it's coming it's coming It is, in afflict- it is in the afflictions of life that God grows us most in grace. It is in the afflictions of life that God grows us most in grace. So, what we'll find in James as we go through James is that he seems to jump about a bit. He seems to be going down rabbit holes. He seems to just go off on a tangent but he's not and i'm hoping to show you what he's doing here in a moment but but if you read the text you'll think what's going on counted all joy brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that in the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and that steadfastness have its full effect that you be perfect complete lacking in nothing then there seems to be a shift he seems to go off on a tangent if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god where'd that come from why are we shifting from trials to wisdom what's going on what are you doing sometimes we can ask i don't have the slightest idea right if you were to read james chapter one i don't have the slightest idea what trials wisdom wealth poverty how they all how this all matches up i don't know but hopefully we're going to see in a moment how they all match up very very well we think he's going down a rabbit hole he's not how do they fit together what, so verse, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. What on earth has that got to do with what he's just previously said? It has this to do with it. We need wisdom to be able to live in 2 to 4. We need wisdom. We need God's wisdom to be able to live in verses 2 to 4. You need wisdom to be able to count it all joy when a trial comes your way. You need wisdom. We need God's wisdom to do that. Wisdom is a, is a massive biblical concept of which there has been much written about. But what we need to know here is specifically in these verses, in verse 5, when James says that we need wisdom, and if we lack wisdom, we can ask God for it, what he means is simply this, that the wisdom here is looking at life through the lens of verse 2 to 4. That's wisdom. That is godly wisdom. Looking at life through the lenses of verse four to, or 2 to 4 is wisdom. When we come on trials, when we come on hard stuff, it's wisdom to look at it through this lens. It's wisdom. It is godly, divine, heavenly wisdom. Often I am confused and bemused by what we consider to be wisdom right? We often think that wisdom is ourselves coming up with some sort of novel thought on something. When the Bible tells us that this is the only wisdom that we have, we need wisdom to live like verse 2 to 4, tell us how to live. He says, if you lack wisdom, I promise that God's going to give it to you. And all you have to do to ask. This is an unconditional declaration by James about what God will do if you ask him for wisdom. So next time you face a trial, right? Next time you're in the midst of something, here's what we need to do. Father, give me the type of wisdom that looks at life through verse 2 to 4 lanes. And what does James say God will do? He will give you that wisdom. God enables us to have that wisdom. He'll give it to you. I love the way James phrases this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach that's 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 one prayer right that's one prayer if there's any other prayer you you can pray loads of prayers but this is one prayer that you can take to the bank and be like i have this in black and white that if i ask god for wisdom what's he going to do he's going to give me wisdom he's told me here in scripture if i ask he'll give and he'll give generously so when we face trials this is the prayer to pray father give me wisdom But how are we to ask? We are to ask without doubting. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. We are to ask without doubting. Listen to what he says. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and will receive nothing. Right. What does it mean to be double-minded? What does James mean here when he said double-minded? Well, it means this. It means a double-minded person is a person who is trying to live in two worlds at the same time. A double-minded person is a person who is trying to live in this world and have everything of this world and trying to live in the kingdom of God and wanting everything of the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is living in this world and it is living in God's kingdom, which He which the scriptures tell us God has already established in the hearts of his people. And the double minded person wants both. He wants all the goals and desires of this world, and he wants all the goals and the desires of the kingdom of God. Think about this in the context of trials. What does the world tell us the, the goal of life is? What, what are we bombarded with on a daily basis? Make it as comfortable and as easy for yourself as possible. Yeah? You get that all the time. You, like, it's, it's our Western worldview. That is the Western worldview. Get as much as you can so that you can have as easy a life as possible, yeah? Yeah? And all of your goals and all of your ambitions and all of, all of your time is wrapped up in that. Pursue that. That's what we're told. That's the goal of this world. What's the goal of the kingdom? The goal of the kingdom is to make you more like Christ. The means of accomplishing that is what? Trials. Here's the thing. You can pursue ease and comfort with your whole heart and you may well get it but you will almost certainly miss Jesus. You can pursue ease and comfort all you want with all your heart but you will almost certainly miss Christ. here's a question an honest question that only you can answer which one are you pursuing which one are you pursuing ease comfort or christ if we're to ask god for wisdom we are to ask not like a double-minded person we are to ask god for wisdom as one who is pursuing his revealed will which is what to make us more like Jesus. If we come to him like that, he will answer, and he will give generously to all who ask without reproach. So, James goes from trials to wisdom, to live in trials. And then what he does is he seems to go again in a different direction. And it looks out of place. Bear with me. So he's just talked about wisdom. And then he goes, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Thanks, James. Nice chipper. Good lad, you've picked us up there. Right. What's he doing now? What, there seems to be a different direction again. Trials, wisdom, poverty and wealth. What's going on? So what he has done is say, trials, this is, this is what trials are doing. We need the wisdom to live in it. And here I'm going to give you a real life example of how that works out. A real life example of how this works out. And I'm going to contrast poverty and I'm going to show you poverty, and I'm going to show you wealth. And look at what he does. What the Christian needs is, in order to rejoice in the trial, is wisdom, and then he's going to give you a real life example. And he says this, you see, the poor man could very easily fixate on his dissatisfaction with the situation and how life was going. He could be like, well, life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. I don't have, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have something else. And so he's just completely dissatisfied with, with life. And what does he miss? He misses Christ. Because Christ has told him in the, in the Word of God, what has Christ made us? Rich. Christ has made us rich. But the poor man could very easily miss that in his dissatisfaction of the way that life circumstances have turned out. And so he misses Jesus. But what wisdom does is lead him to see that Jesus is producing something in him because of his trial. So that's the, that's the, the, the trial, as it were, of poverty. Because the reality is there's trial in poverty, and there's trial in prosperity. There's trial in poverty, and there's trial in pos- prosperity. Now, I guarantee you, every single one of us, if we were asked, which one you want to line up for, which one are you taking? All of us are in the prosperity lane, and give me that one. I'll take the wealthy trial. Give me that one. Charles Spurgeon one of the greatest preachers of all time, said the greatest trial in life is prosperity. The greatest trial in life is prosperity. Why? Because on the other hand of the poverty side of things, the rich man can look at his situation and become so satisfied with what he has and so taken up by and in love with the things that he has that what? He misses The giver. He actually misses the giver. Look at what James says here over we're 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 finishing today at verse eleven, by the way. But look at what James says further over here. He talks about this. He says every good gift. Every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. With Him there is no variation of shadow of change. What's James saying here? He's saying that everything we have, everything that is good, comes from the Father. And our worship and our adoration must overflow from the good gift to the Father. And so the temptation for the rich man is to just look at the gifts, look at the stuff, be consumed by them, and forget God. Forget God. I used the example in the first service of me, like I I like steak. And so if I'm cutting into a a lovely medium sirloin uh, and I'm drooling and Bonnie's beside me and she's drooling, that's the dog, just in case you don't, you wonder, uh, she's drooling. Like I wonder, am I in that moment? Am I just so consumed with the gift that I forget that God, my father has given me this good gift? We will all go today. Most of us will go. Some of us will go to the Milestone, which is a good gift. Let me be clear. Some of us will go and get our lunch there. And some of us will do things today. And they will be good gifts. And our mind will never go to the Father. And just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. 99.9% of us in this room. Don't fall into the poverty section. Ninety nine point nine percent of us when Jesus or when James talks about the rich, who's he talking to? Us. I forget the stat, but I've used it before about how much what percentage of the world's richest people we would fall into so there's a trial there's a trial in poverty but there's also a trial in prosperity as I says Spurgeon says there is no trial like prosperity and i suppose if you were to contrast our christianity our western christianity to christianity over the globe you would see how this plays out Our Christianity, our faith, is quite feeble at times compared to those around the world in much more dire circumstances than we are. I remember I stood the first time we went to Uganda uh, It was the first or second night, and I stood and I was crammed, it's me i was crying and davy charlton came up alongside me and he was like what's wrong with you and i was, i didn't probably know at the time i was just struggling with the, the situation just struggling with what i was seeing struggling with the poverty struggling with just it all and davy put his hands on my shoulder and he quoted james and he said this has not god chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and it's true has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Those who are poor in the eyes of the world would put us to shame when it comes to faith. So there's trial in our prosperity. And that's what James is doing here. He's giving us a real life example. So what he does, trials will come. They're serving a purpose. They're making you more like Christ. They're producing perfection in you. That's their purpose. We need the wisdom of God to to live and see that and to live through that lens. And there's the real life example of how this works out in prosperity and in poverty. And then, just to throw it in there, James gives us this reminder of the brevity of life. Did you see it? Did you see it? Like, Did you see it? Let the lowly boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. It doesn't matter how much money he has or how little money he has, he'll pass away. And also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Folks, we do not have much time. Life is but a vapor's breath. Life is short. And we cannot guarantee tomorrow. And if you look at that and you think about that, you sort of understand these verses a little better because God's goal, if you take away one thing today in this and it's this, God's goal in your life, how short or how long it may be, is to present you perfect before father and he is doing that through trials but it's brief at best and i was thinking about that last night as i was just sort of going over this and i was reminded by the the ct stud poem many of you know who ct stud is Uh, he was a england cricketer who gave it up and went into the mission field and lost his life I want to finish with this. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's over like that. We need to ask God for the wisdom to make it count. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray to you that you will take the word in which you have inspired, your word, God's word, and plant it into our hearts. Help us to have wisdom. Give us wisdom, we pray. To live in the light that the trials that are in our life are producing your will. And us to make us more like Christ. Give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.